Welcome back to another edition of INT's The Podcast. It's not that serious. I'm your host, A-Train, joined once again by King. What's going on, King? Oh, not much. Just, we had a great weekend in the college football. Some surprises, some expectations were met. Yeah, yeah it was a crazy week, a crazy week. Um, some things went as expected and some things, well... You know, we'll, we'll get to it right now. Oh, yeah. Some things just did not go as planned, especially if you're a Notre Dame or Texas A&M fan. What are some of your biggest takeaways with, with those games? Notre Dame loses to Marshall 26-21. Texas A&M loses to App State 17-14. Both were in the top 10. Both have a lot of questions and looking for answers. What are your takeaways on those? Let's start with Notre Dame and Marshall first. Okay, first thing with Notre Dame – you know, I said it, you know, the previous week, the offense isn't that good. I, I you know, and I still stand by that offense is not very good. However, you're Notre Dame. You have more than enough talent to beat Marshall. One, you know, hats off to Marshall. Really. They played a great game. The Sun Belt kids showed up. They played great football. However, you were Notre Dame. None of the kids who were recruited by and signed scholarships to go play football in Notre Dame. Probably never even thought of going to Marshall or a Sunbelt school. So to lose that way at home, quite frankly, it's embarrassing. Your starting quarterback is out for the season. You know, this is the first ever coach at Notre Dame to ever start off his career 0-3. I just think, I think Notre Dame's in a, Pretty tough situation. Their schedule's not easy. I don't know because the game, I don't know where Notre Dame can go forward. You know, Vegas has them now pegged to win seven games, which would be a horrible season for Notre Dame. I don't have a lot of comments about the game, but it's much more so about the future of Notre Dame. I have a lot of questions. And right now, I'm not sure Coach Freeman is the guy to lead Notre Dame. Yeah, and that's the big thing. You know, Marcus Freeman is 0-3 as Notre Dame head coach. 0-2 this season, but remember, he coached the bowl game last mm-hmm. year for Oklahoma State, in which they lost 35-32. to um, Granted, you know, that's a big bowl game that they lost, and they lost the game to Ohio State. There's nothing wrong with either of those losses. No. But as you said, you know, losing to Marshall, who, who – um, is actually in their first season in the Sun Belt. Appalachian State also a Sun Belt team. So, big week for the Sun Belt, by the way. Yes. Um, I mean, it's just not, you know, it's it's not a good look, you know. Um, so, for Marcus Freeman, you know, the questions are going to be out there. Like, is he the guy? Is he in over his head? This is his first job, first head coaching job. And so far, you know, like, if I had to give him a grade, I can't give him anything better than a D. You know, yeah. maybe even an F. Um, the results speak for themselves. And not only that, you know, they gave up 219 yards rushing. I was praising their defense last week against Ohio State. Right. This week, even though Marshall didn't necessarily light it up on them, you know, you give up 219 yards rushing to a team who you should manhandle uh, in the trenches, it's just, it doesn't look good, you know. On top of that, you lose Tyler Buchner with a shoulder injury. He's out for four months, but potentially four months. You have Drew Pines um, coming in to replace him. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw a stat where it says Drew Pine has thrown 38 passes in three years. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. But yeah, for Notre Dame, more questions to answer. The schedule, well, I don't think it's crazily daunting, um, but like as far as like just elite teams, they have a lot of good teams on their schedule, and it'll be interesting to see how they fare through that schedule this season. I will say, just to piggyback off of that, you know, most of their schedule, I think it's fair to say, most of those teams are probably better than Marshall. Yes. At least you believe they're better than Marshall. They they didn't look good against Marshall. So, you know, you have to face BYU. You have to face Syracuse. You have to face Stanford, which Stanford did not look like World Beers versus USC. No, they did not. But BYU looks like a really good football team this year. Based off the way they fought against Baylor to pull out that win, mm-hmm. I think Baylor's gonna be. I think BYU is gonna be a good football team. Yeah, I and think I have Baylor's got a good football team. Yeah, and I have uh, some thoughts on BYU a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Nothing too deep, but yeah, um, yeah. To piggyback on that, like you said, it's not 
it's not the most daunting schedule, but like you said, it's pretty much everybody on that schedule is tougher than Marshall, with the exception of UNLV. You're right. Um, you know, you know, um, they got a game late this against Navy, but Navy is no cakewalk. You know, they are no. known to be very competitive. You have USC, you have uh, BYU. Those are your big games coming up. But well, then you also, also have Clemson. Oh, Clemson, yes, yeah, exactly, Clemson as well. And then you also have. Um, Syracuse, who's a sneaky, decent team, they actually have yes. have been pretty decent lately. You have Stanford, you know UNC. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting. It, schedule. It's not getting it's any easier. Schedule. Yeah. So my question to you is this: um, What record do you think Marcus Freeman need to have this year to win the fans back? Because you know the fans have turned on them already. Like, what is the best case final record that you see the Irish having this season to where the fans would say, "Okay, Marcus Freeman is the guy. He's going to turn it around." The only way I think the fans would be happy is if somehow he could win ten straight and go ten and two. You know, in the regular season. But realistically, I know Vegas has been getting seven games, but honestly, looking at that schedule and seeing the team that played Saturday, I don't think they have seven wins. Mm. I really don't. I I just I don't see where. You know, because USC looks pretty good. I don't see them beating USC. I don't see them beating uh, BYU or Clemson. And I'm not sure they can score points with UNC. That offense is just not talented enough. I, I don't. Maybe this team, I would say this team realistically could go 7-6 and six with a bowl game appearance. And that's where they get their bowl win. It's just, you know, they'll beat somebody in the little Caesars bowl or so. <laughs> but, yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's, I mean, you're Notre Dame, you know, seven and six is unacceptable. Yeah. Um, now, nah, what about yourself? Well, honestly, I was going to use that to segue to the fact that if you talk about seven and six, let's talk about Texas, uh, Texas A&M. The preseason champs? The preseason champs, you know. Okay. You know, like, there's a joke about A&M about how they should basically just book, you know, just pencil in eight and four every season. Um, will they get the eight wins this year? Um, they look pretty horrendous against Appalachian State. 186 yards of total offense. Let me repeat that. 186 yards of total offense for Texas A&M, an SEC school against Appalachian State. Appalachian State, the same team who gave up 63 points to North Carolina just yes. a week earlier. That is, it's embarrassing. Um... Jimbo, you got to get it together. Haynes King, 13 of 20 for 97 yards. Right. The best player was the punter who averaged 45 yards to punt. Oh, I he, mean, he, he completely earned, he, he earned his scholarship. He earned that scholarship, exactly. So Nobody, it, not too many other people did. Yeah. Especially on the defense. Yeah. Well, the defense wasn't the problem. You know, the defense only gave up 315 yards. Granted, Appalachian State did a great job of controlling the time of possession. Right. But... Um, Texas A&M, yeah, they have some serious issues. Um, will they bounce back? Maybe. It could be just a slip up. But history has shown that A&M is just – they are who they are. You know, they're 8-14. Yes. This year, maybe even, even worse because that schedule is daunting. We talked about Notre Dame's schedule earlier. Let me run down A&M's uh, schedule coming up for the next month here. Okay. They have Miami next week. Which, you know, you know I'm not sold on Miami, but that's still a, a tough test. Arkansas, yeah. who's a top 10 team. Mm-hmm. Mississippi State, who have pretty much split them over the last six or seven years. I actually expect Mississippi State to win that game. Not oh, even wow. at the homer. Just my expectation. Then you have Alabama. Of South course, Carolina it's a game. Has, South Carolina has been getting a lot better under Shane Beamer. It's not going to be easy test at South Carolina. Then you have Ole Miss, who, as much as I hate them, again, tough, tough, um, tough team. Then you have Florida, number eighteen. They're only the next the next break in is it even a break because it's a road game against Auburn. Like their schedule is daunting. Like their last three games, it lightens up a little bit with Auburn, UMass, and LSU. But this run is daunting. And that's um, hoping if you're AM, you're hoping LSU hasn't figured it out by then. Exactly. You're hoping AM hasn't figured it out. You're hoping Auburn um has just completely just just fell apart, which is what I honestly expect from Auburn. I expect yeah, them just kind of just the wheels to fall off this year, but yeah, it's it's not going to get easier for Texas A&M and to lose a gimme game because you remember last week they did not look that impressive against Sam Houston. They only scored thirty one points against them. Right. Um. So I what's think going they, on in College Station? You think? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Jimbo just got that huge extension. Not sure 
why they gave it to him. I mean, I'm not sure who else was trying to hire him last year. Not saying that he's not a great coach, but yeah, I mean, you spent a lot of money on him. So because of that, I don't know if he gets fired this year unless the wheels just fall off. Next right. year, on the other hand, though, especially with that recruiting class as well. But next year, I think he needs to, you know, that that, that seat's going to be pretty, pretty warm. So, um, yeah, we should see what's going to happen with, with uh, A&M. But shout out to Appalachian State, though. Yeah, you know, this is their second time going on the road, being a highly ranked team. You know, they of course they did it against Michigan um, yeah, quite a few game. years back. Um, and then you know, like you said, they play great ball control. But however, you know, if you're texting them, where are your playmakers? You know, where is that safety or that emerging linebacker, maybe an emerging pass rusher, an emerging D- interior D lineman? Where's one of those guys who's going to get in the huddle and say, guys, we got to make a play? Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> one no one truly stepped up. The only bright spot they had was a kick return for the touchdown in the second half, which brings me to another point there. They only had two plays inside of Appalachian State's territory. I don't know how that's, how that's feasible in a 60-minute game, but that's it's unacceptable. Yeah, especially against a team like Appalachian State, that should never ever happen. I, I guess, I guess, I just, I, I don't want to put the blame on the defense, but it just seems like if your offense is struggling and not getting the football, there's only so much the offense can do because they're not even on the field. Yeah, but I think there's blame to go all, all, all the way around. Of course, so, yes. Like the offense just basically getting three and outs, right, and just not. In not sustaining the drive um, to the point where you have 18 minutes of, total of uh, possession. And on the flip side, the defense is not getting off the field. Uh, Appalachian State was 9 of 20 on third downs, but they're also 3 of 5 on fourth downs. So in 25 attempts, basically, in those you know third and fourth down situations, they converted 12 times. So right. that's 12 times where the drive was extended for them. 22 first downs right there um, to 9 for Texas A&M. It's like, like reading these stats, like just just taking the yards out of the equation and just reading the first down stats and the efficiency, I would have swore that Appalachian State blew them out because this is just they're just that pathetic by Texas. Yeah, it's, yeah it's just I yeah, it's I wonder with A and M, and I will say this: A and M, like you said, they had a great recruiting class, historic recruiting class. Yes, and, and, and according to Jimbo, legit. Correct. You know, I, I was going to bring up the NIL, but he said it was all legit. So I'll leave that part out. But uh, I would assume, you know, if this is the big if, if AM does do what AM typically does, which is eight and four, let's say nine and three, they're not going nine and three. You can book that. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't think that's a bold projection at all. I think I that's a think very safe statement I just made. I was giving them nine and three, like well, maybe you know they can get it together. I, I, I just don't see the playmakers out there. And coming, you know, now we're going to week three. Your playmakers should be making plays and making a name for themselves, especially like you said against Sam Houston, against Marshall. Okay, who's the guys that can hit? Who are the guys that are the ball hawks? Where are my pass rushers? I mean. Heck, like I said, where are your run stoppers? None of that really emerged in these past two weeks. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like I said, you you brought a ton of talent. Will you have those same NIL deals for next year's class? I mean, the yeah. number one running back in the country, Ruben Owens from the state of Texas, has already said, "I'm not visiting." He had a vi- a scheduled visit to A and M. After the loss, he posted and said, I'm no longer going. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, like, you know, these games, you know, I mean, on the larger scale, sometimes some of these games don't matter for recruits because a lot of times they have enough information to make their minds up. Mm-hmm. But there are times where performances like this can just turn a recruit off. I remember as a Mississippi State fan doing Sylvester Crooms last season, they had a commitment from four-star receiver Pat Patterson. Who, I mean, granted, he didn't do much when he, you know, showed up, but that's besides the point. Um, they played a game against Auburn, three to two, very famous game. Oh yeah. So some of these games, you know, when 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 uh, recruits see some of these performances, you know, they don't want to be a part of that. They didn't sign up. They didn't sign up for that. No. You know, you know, 
Texas A&M signed up. You, you go to Texas A&M because you you feel that you have an opportunity to to, um, to make the playoffs. That's right. your goal. Granted, I think that's you know A&M fans being delusional, but you know that's another topic for another time. But yes, you know, but they are they do have the blueprint, they do have the talent, they do have the resources to do that. They just have not uh, breaking that barrier, and it's only going to get tougher in three years when our next topic, Texas, you know. When Texas and Oklahoma joins, oh. it's just it's not going to get any easier because yes. that advantage that A and M may have had in recruiting um, to be able to tell Texas kids, "Hey, you want to play in the SEC? Come to A and M." Yes, Texas can say the same thing now. So. Yeah, and like you said, great segue to the state. You know, with Texas, um, Texas versus Alabama. You know, yeah. I want to I want to mock Texas a little bit and say, "Hey, Texas was back." <laughs> you know, they hey, left. They for left three in the quarters quarter. in about fourteen yeah. minutes and fifty seconds. They were back. They were back. They left. You know, I, I, when the game got you know going, Texas decided to go back where they were. Yeah, but you know, Bijan Robinson didn't play great. He he was okay, but they didn't need him to be spectacular. You know, like I thought they would need. I thought if Texas had. Any chance of winning this game? I thought B. John Robinson was gonna was going to have yeah. to have a spectacular yeah. day, and that was my key as well. Exactly. You know, but he didn't. And I honestly will say this: I believe Texas A and M, not Texas A and M, the University of Texas, they blew it. You know, you gave Bryce Young way too many opportunities. You let him hang around this game. Fourth quarter came around. And a great player showed you why he's a great player. He made the plays that need to be made to get his team to win. Exactly. Bryce Young and Will Anderson both stepped up in big yes. moments. Um, one um, big moment, I believe it was under two minutes left. Um, third and three. Yeah, third and three under two minutes. Will, excuse me. Will Anderson records a big sack. To oh, the field yes. Goal. And at that point, you know, Texas kicked the field goal with like a minute and a half left in the game. Uh, ironically enough, by a kicker whose last name is Auburn, so Auburn almost beat beat Alabama. You know, yeah, uh, interesting itself. But you left a minute and a half on the clock for Bryce Young, who played like a Heisman. Um, in that last a minute thirty, uh, he had a big scramble where he he looked like he was dead to rights. He scrambled, gets the big first down, the sets up the game winning field goal. Bryce Young did what you're supposed to do. I mean, he he didn't play amazing that game, the whole game, but he was. Consistent enough to where he didn't take his team out of the game. And when the team needed him, yeah, anyway. I mean, and what about the Quentin Ewers? Uh, what's that? I said, what about the injury to Quentin Ewers? Ew. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Quentin Ewers goes down. Um, and Hudson Carr actually played a pretty good game. Um, well, a decent game. He did enough to keep, to keep them in it. He kept but, them in the game. Yeah, that, yeah, that's because you know, the yeah, game that was a big moment. Look, the toughest game, and I, I've had this conversation with many people, but I believe one of the toughest games to win is the game when your star quarterback gets hurt because the backup is the backup for a reason, you know? Exactly. Your running back gets hurt. Well, your backup running back has been getting carries all throughout the week. He he knows what's expected of him. Your backup quarterback for many, whether it's high school, college, the NFL, they're not getting that many reps with the ones. No, they're not. If they're getting any. Yeah. It's a it's a tough thing. And you know, Texas hung around. Yeah. Like I always say that, you know, um when you lose your back I mean your starting quarterback and the backup comes in, that is one of the toughest things to adjust to. Um because you don't really game plan for that. Like, you know, the next week it's usually a lot better because you can prepare, you know, that yeah. you have the whole week to kind of prepare. If your backup quarterback, for instance, is a mobile quarterback, you can, you know, you can work on certain packages, you know, to 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 uh, utilize his strengths mm-hmm. and be better prepared. But when that quarterback is thrown in um, in the middle of the game, it's tough, you know. But shout out to Hudson Card. He did a good job of at least holding it together. Uh, Quinn Ewers was actually playing pretty well before he got hurt. Um you know, that's always going to be the question, what would have happened, but it didn't, you know, what would happen had he not gotten hurt, but he did get hurt, and that's the reality that we have to have to live with. At the end of the day, Bama did what it needed to do to win a game. They show why they are Alabama. They're not easy to beat. You might think you have them, but 
they're going to find a way. And as for Texas, their big thing is that they have to get over this loss. Um, this can either be a springboard to better things to come, or it could be a situation where it could be like an anchor and just sink them. Like they can just lose their momentum because they're so caught up on on, on this uh, close loss to Alabama that, oh man, what could have been, you know? And they just don't perform next week. I, so, I don't think this Texas team can afford to sink because, as you said before, you know, UT, you're going to the SEC. It's too late to turn back around now. Yes. You 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 cannot afford to constantly have seven and five, five and seven, four and you know those arguably you know, and I think it's fair to say because this is UT, UT should, you know, be in the same boat LSU. You know, it's no yeah. it's unacceptable for you to win less than ten games a season. Exactly. Exactly. And UT, at least as far as I remember, I can't remember the last time they even competed for the. Um. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. It's been a while. Um. It's definitely been a while. Like Texas has been, quite frankly, a mediocre football team for the last ten or so years. Yeah, and... I mean, above, I would say mediocre. Mediocre is a, it's a very harsh word, but. Yeah, but, they have not been Texas, though. They have not been. If we think about it, this a Sugar Bowl win, I believe, over Georgia. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, like, like, honestly, and this team has had high problems. It's had big name coaches. They've switched coaching staffs a, a, quite a few times. It's, it's getting to the point where, okay, it's now or never. You know, you yeah. are Texas. You go to the SEC, it's only going to get rougher. You know, that game that you used to have against Kansas, okay, maybe you're lucky and you get Vanderbilt. Maybe. Yeah. But the very next, look, Kentucky is no longer a gimme game in the SEC anymore. Yeah. So I did put it up just now, just for reference point. Uh, since 2010, Texas has had one 10 win season. That is ridiculous. They've also had one, two, three, four, five losing seasons. Since one, since, yeah. So I mean, so I, I was right the first time. They have been mediocre. Yeah, this is a mediocre football team, and, and that's unacceptable. I, yeah, I don't think this or to sink. If you're the no, allow it. Yeah, no. Yeah, that team. I mean, that that's um, the tradition. That that school is too rich. Um, I mean, just the you know the alumni base, the the money that you know goes into that program. It's 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 hard to kind of imagine, and you just wonder what's going to happen when they go into the SEC. Now we're being kind of critical because at the end of the day, you know, wins and losses is the only thing that matters. But Texas did play a phenomenal game. They do deserve props for that. But mm-hmm. you know, but. Um, on the larger scale, you know, will you know, will they be the Texas who we grew up with, you know, or would it would it be Texas who these recruits have seen all their life? So it's just, you know, a wait and see game. Because before we move on, I just have one final statement. Right now, you know, in the state of Texas, and we've seen this before, Kyler Murray. I mean, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. He was going to A and M. Yeah. Ruben Owens, number one running back in the country from the great state of Texas, I don't think he's even considering UT. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, if Vince Young was coming out of Houston right now, would he even be looking at Texas? That is an interesting question. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, he'd probably be, you know, on his way to Bama. You know, DeMarvin Leal, very good player for AM. From San Antonio, uh, Texas, he went to you know, Converse Judson, big time football player. I don't believe he ever even had UT in his top three. You know, UT has a problem on his hands. You know, yeah. it, they need to get this sorted out, and I think they have they have the resources to do it. Yeah, but... yeah, exactly. With Texas, unlike another team who we're going to talk about uh, in our last segment of the day, they have resources and they have the fan base. They well. 
the other team has a fan base as well. But Texas, they have the resources, they have the money, they have the recruiting base. They can get back. They just need the right coach. I I, I honestly do feel that Steve Sarkeesian may be that guy. Yeah, he's really, a great, really, phenomenal recruiter. Yeah, I phenomenal. really, I really believe he may be that guy. But, um, but yeah, like you have the the capability, you know, to come back. Will they? And will they in a fashion that's good enough for Texas fans? Is you know, we we'll have to big see. Big question. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of what's good enough for fans, University of Florida, another one of those teams <laughs> who's just fight, trying to get back, uh, loses twenty six to sixteen against Kentucky this week. Um, Kentucky played a pretty good game. This game was kind of a grind. It wasn't, you know, anything too exciting. But a few takeaways that I'm going to make is Anthony Richardson, 14 of 35 for 143 yards, two Mm -hmm. INTs. The sad thing, I don't put that on him. I feel Billy Napier did a poor job of putting him in position to to, uh, succeed, which he did admit himself. And those two fourth down attempts late in the game in their own territory, I don't understand this. You know, you had one on the 40-yard line, and then the other one was back even further than that. And there was both in both situations, you had time to punt, and your defense was playing good enough to where you probably could have gotten the ball back, but they just did not give themselves a chance to win. Uh, Billy Napier, you know, he he has to, to do better. He has to call the game better. Um, I put it on him. Uh, Florida, you, you know, back to reality. So we'll see what Florida is uh, coming up the rest of the season, but uh, what were your takeaways on the game? Well, I thought Kentucky looked good. I didn't think they looked great. But, you know, like you said, the game was a grind. You know, there wasn't many super flashy plays. But I do agree with you. Those four down calls, the first one, like, it somewhat wrapped my head around, like, maybe. I had a problem with that when I first saw it. Like, first guessing it, I was like, I don't think this is the right play. Yeah, they get it, it's going to look genius, but no. Don't right, and that's what I said. But the second one just bad. I'm like, it's what fourth and three or fourth and four. There's zero reason to go for it. Yeah, plenty of time. Yeah. It's not like the defense was just getting gashed. You know, the defense was holding their own. Now, could they have been getting tired? Maybe, but Maybe. the deep. But, but you have to trust your defense there. Right, because I, I I did understand that, one. and also I will say this. You know, Richardson's a big kid. He's not a little guy, but you know, fourth down. I know he's wearing 15, but he's not Tim Tebow. No, definitely not. You know, you there's know, not many Tim, Tim Tebow's in college football. Right. And, you know, if I have Tim Tebow in that situation, okay, it's fourth and one. Look, I'm I'm telling the whole SEC, yeah, we're we're calling the quarterback blast. Yeah, I dare you to stop him. Exactly. But and you know, that's no disrespect to Anthony Richardson. Two different types of players, two different body types. It's just I, I don't. I think the coach, like you said, I think he outcoached himself in yeah. those situations. And, you know, better luck next week. Yeah, and shout-out to Mark Stoops. Uh, we talked about him last week a little bit, you know, putting Kentucky football on the map. They're now 2-0. and And they have – I mentioned it earlier, they have a good chance to go 10-2 and regular season with, you know, with potentially 11 wins, you know. Yes. Um, they have that potential uh, based on their schedule, based on – who they play um, based on that team. They have a good roster. Um, at, at the toughest test is, of course, Georgia. But outside of that is Tennessee, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. That's their three toughest games right there. Yeah, honestly, I think they can win two of those games at least. Honestly, coming into the season, if you would have told me Kentucky and Tennessee might be battling for second place and possibly the dark horses to win the SEC East, I, I mean, I would not. I would no. There's no way. I'd yeah. That bad. Yeah. Know? Like I, you know, I was high on Kentucky from the jump. I I did feel that they can do it. I do still question Tennessee, but they are on the right path. I thought Florida may be that team to kind of like emerge as um, a potential second place team, but Kentucky was a team that I kind of bookmarked as my pick for second in the East this year. Um, and and honestly, and as much praise as I've given Kentucky. It's not because I'm that high in Kentucky. I just have questions about Florida and, you know, preseason champion Tennessee. I'm just not – I wasn't sure about them. They have looked pretty good, though. Uh, I will give them that. But, yeah, it was more about the fact that the East is just not that strong. I do think that um, Shane Beamer at South Carolina is doing a pretty good job there. Yes. But they're not there yet. They're no. still They're still, like, fifth in the East at best, in my opinion. 
you know, unless unless Florida just implodes, I still think, no. you know, it's still going to be Georgia, Kentucky, Tennessee, with Florida kind of lingering there. Yeah. And then, speaking of Tennessee, they had a big game against Pitt this week. Um, um, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but um, the thing that I would take away is Hendon Hooker looked amazing. He's kind of again. Yeah, he struggled early on, but he finished with 325 yards and two touchdowns. Um, pretty good performance. Cedric Tillman had a huge game of nine catches for 162 yards. Um, but Tennessee, they still show some holes in the running game or the run defense game. Uh, granted, they only gave up 141, which isn't bad, but 150 was to one player. So they have to get that under control. But but uh, for the most part, I think they, they look pretty good. You know, Tennessee, I mean, Pittsburgh started off pretty good, like, I thought Pittsburgh, you know, might be in a position to, to to run away with the game, but Tennessee, you know, called their way back and ended up pulling it off in overtime. Um, did you catch it in this? Like, uh, what were your well, thoughts on this? I was able to watch the game because, it, I will say this, hats off to the offensive line of Tennessee. They handled the pass rush of Pitt really well. You know, because I thought, and I said the game plan that Tennessee came with I thought was going to be the reason why they would lose the game because, you know, I did pick uh, t- Pitt to win because I thought, well, you know, I think Tennessee's going to lean on Hooker too much. They're not going to take advantage of their big, strong offensive line against a much smaller Pitt defensive line. Like I said, Pitt, I don't believe Carrie spent 300 pounds in the defensive line. And I, the one or two guys I saw, both their interior D tackles got hurt. You know, they had guys on that field, 280, 275, 260. But, you know, Gerald Minty at left tackle, the big sophomore, played a really good game. Uh, they were able to win those one-on-ones to give him the help that he needed sometimes, even when they tried to put uh, Baladano. Once again, I'm probably butchering his name. When they tried, <laughs> but, you know, the, look, the kid's going to be an NFL football player. Yeah, and he held up against him, so that's. I will say this: Tennessee, Tennessee's offensive line did impress me. I, like you said, I do agree they can get tougher in that running game, but, and but if they do, Tennessee might just be a dark horse. Like I said, I think they could be the team if yeah. Georgia slips up here or there. Yeah, I it, mean, I do agree. The more I watch Tennessee, the more impressed I am with them. Um, it's just, it's one of those things where it's just recent history has just made me cautious on Tennessee. Um, I'm not, I, I just, I'm not, not ready to pull that trigger on them yet, but they have been impressive. Um, I love their offense. Love it. Love it. Love it. They're, they're, they're a fun team to watch. Like if you, um, are a casual football fan who's just looking for a exciting team to watch, watch Tennessee play. Oh. They have an exciting brand of football. Um, very, you know, very fast paced, up tempo do a great job of, you know, getting their players in space and creating big plays. Um, but, but yeah, I just, you know, and, and hats off to uh, Josh Heupel, you know, with that. But, again, it's just more of a thing where I'm just – I've been burned by Tennessee so many times. Oh, yeah. Where it's just – I'm just kind of in wait-and-see mode when it comes to them. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then the final big game, I would say, uh, just briefly, is BYU over Baylor. Uh, BYU did win in overtime. Bella was, you know, last week, me and Big Runs picked to go to the playoffs. Um, um, so that's not looking good. But I will say that BYU, is, um, who are now at 12 in the, in the AP poll, has positioned themselves as a potential dark horse playoff team with the schedule that they have. So that's something to look out for. And that's really my game game is not nearly as big as it could have been. Yes, exactly. I do agree with that. That, that hurts them. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. you know, I mean, BYU played well, you know, but I will say this. I like Baylor pick because I believe Baylor's probably going to win the Big 12. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at this point, they're going to have to win it. Um, they're going to have to look strong against – well, I'm not, I'm not going to say look strong, but they definitely, you know, you got Oklahoma, you got Oklahoma State. You know, if you win those two games, that's that's two very quality wins. Mm-hmm. So it definitely will help, you know, your resume. Because you lose to BYU, but you lost in overtime by six. On so the road, not, yeah, on Provo. the road, in a very tough place to play. Provo yeah. is not easy place to play. No. Um. So I do think the committee can look past that. Um. Blake Ship, uh, Shapin has to play better though, um, if they're going to make a run. But 
yeah, I do think that they still have the opportunity to come back, but you know they have to run the table. They can't go oh, yeah. and have a, even a, a a sniff of hope. No, they go ten to Big Twelves out. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't. I mean, unless Oklahoma can, you know, um, come back and you know be Oklahoma that we know and love, uh, which I don't. I I I, I don't see them going undefeated either. You know, I think Oklahoma's you know their last big chance to um to make the um the playoffs this season. But yeah, if, if they don't run the table, they they can do it. But I do I do think BYU is a team to watch right now. Um, just you know with their schedule coming up, um, I do think that they have the opportunity to to run the table. You got as you mentioned Notre Dame. You know that game does not look as intimidating anymore. And then you have Oregon coming up this weekend actually. At Oregon. So that's in Eugene. So that's going to be a test. Yes. But here's the thing with Oregon. Um, who are they? You know, we don't know anything. So we just have to wait and see, you know. Well, the last then, time we saw them, you know. Against the real team. It wasn't It wasn't pretty, you know. No. So, yeah, we so didn't learn have, anything from that game. Exactly. And then BYU does have Arkansas uh, in October this season. Um, that's going to be a tough test. Yeah. That's going to be their toughest test. Arkansas, you know, physical brand. Of, it's a physical team. Physical, physical brand of, of offense. They are, it, if you're, you know, I mentioned earlier about Tennessee, if you're casual, if you're a hardcore football fan and just like some good old school, you know, just smash mouth, three tight ends, just running down your throat, Arkansas, you know, it's, it's a team you want to watch. They are, oh, yeah. you know, they are the definition of smash mouth. And KJ Jefferson, though, I mentioned this match mall, but KJ Jefferson has been very good at quarterback for them. He's actually approved at the passer, and they, you know, they have a good passing game with them. You know, um, so that's gonna be an interesting matchup for for, for uh, BYU. But that's looking way ahead, and um, but yeah, good win for for, for BYU over Baylor. Um, and that's really all, all I got to say about that, though. And but. Um, also this week, though, after the games, after the crazy week of games, we did get our top 25 this week. Yes. Yeah, so um, new number one. Uh, anyone want to guess who it is? Our right, time's up. We all know that it's, it's Georgia. Oh, yeah. So Georgia finally, you know, has become number one after Alabama struggles and after um, after Georgia just, you know, just being Georgia. Granted, they didn't play, you know, that amazing this week, but um, – they did what they were supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. They did what they're supposed to do. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But yeah, Georgia is, is the new number one this this uh, week, followed by Bama. Um, did you check out the polls, by the way? No. Uh, well, just to give a, a, a quick little rundown, it's, you know, Georgia's number one, Alabama's two, Ohio State's three, Michigan four, Clemson, Oklahoma, USC, Oklahoma State, Kentucky's at nine, Arkansas's at 10. Uh, we mentioned earlier BYU's at 12. Just skipping ahead, Utah's back up to 14. Um, we also have Baylor, who fell to 17. Ole Miss is at 20. Uh, Florida, 18. So they didn't drop very far. Oregon is back into the polls at 25. I'm not sure what they did to get back in it. Not saying they should have fell out in the first place. But, you know, you look at that week one performance and they fell out. But then they play Eastern Washington and they get back in. Not No knock against Eastern Washington, but I don't see what they've done to – I mean, get back they, how many points did they score against Eastern Washington? Exactly. It was it was it was a bunch. It was a bunch. I don't remember, uh, but it was a bunch. It was like yeah. sixty or something like that. Okay. It, was, it, was, it was a lot. It was a high scoring game. Right. Uh, well, high scoring for Oregon. Uh, <laughs> not a high score for, for Eastern Washington. It was seventy. Seventy. To okay. So, so they said the offense is back on track. Yeah. So yeah, but I do. I honestly would have. I would have given them the last part to Marshall. You know, Texas A and M is still ranked. They're twenty four. I would have taken them out the post completely after that performance. Not just the fact that you lost to Appalachian State, but in the manner that you lost it in. Um, Marshall yeah. has a better argument, you know, than them. Florida State, you know, you can put them in there. Mississippi State, North Carolina. Um, that's a few of the teams you can put over those teams, but right. it's still yeah. early. You know, Florida yeah. State probably in like it always does. No, I agree. You know, the only question I have is, what has Michigan done to be a top five team? Well, in Michigan's defense, they have looked impressive this season so far. Uh, and then, you know, last season, obviously, you know, uh, winning the Big Ten, beating Ohio State. Um, I think they, you know, th- they deserve to be ranked that high. Will they stay there? I don't know. But um, I don't have any problems with Michigan. If anything, I think it's, you know, it's very justified 
I think their ranking is very justified. I'm sorry. Fair enough. Fair enough. That is it. It was just more of a question. Just like, yeah, well. I mean, Michigan, like, the one thing I do love about this top 25 right now, this is all going to get itself sorted out. Oh, yeah, always. Yeah. Now, would would there be controversy at the end of the season? Of of course. course. You know, but uh, yeah, it. For the most part, it'll sort itself out. Yeah. Usually, there's no debate on the top three teams. It's usually that fourth team that we always have those debates about. And I think that's, you know, it's going to be the same thing this year because I don't see there being more than two undefeated teams. So, I think, you know, you have your two sure things. You have your one team who's going to be probably from the SEC. And then, you know, that fourth spot is going to be up for grabs this season. Will Baylor make a return? Will BYU, who, who, who I mentioned earlier as a dark horse, will they come back? You know, will USC be that fourth team, as you predicted last week? Yeah, uh, yeah that's a lot, you know, to unpack. But, you know, um, that's the great thing about college football. Uh, it's a long season, a lot of twists and turns. And I'm sure there's going to be more upsets that's going to upset. Oh, them. yeah. If anything, week two showed us. Upsets are going to happen this season. Definitely, definitely. It's about that time. Yeah, so we're going to move on to the RPO here. All right, we got a few topics. You know, if it's anything of interest, we'll run with it. If it's not, we'll just pass it along. All right, the first topic of the day we're going to go with is Lane Kiffin is quiet about Ole Miss starting QB ahead of Georgia Tech game. Yeah, I'm passing (laughs) it too. If if, if you would have said run with it, uh, I would have pulled it back and threw it. Mark uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stoops passes Bear Bryant for the most wins in UK history. I'll run with it really, really quickly. Congratulations to Mark Stoops. He's done the Kentucky. Like you said, you know, he's turned this program that used to be only a basketball school. And, you know, they were the other punching bag in the East. If you had Kentucky in your schedule, like, that's a win. Exactly. If you had Kentucky and Vanderbilt, you knew, hey, we're gonna be bowl eligible with these two guys. <laughs> I know so, we got two we got two conference wins right there. Yep. And you know, now Kentucky, like you know, I do stand by I think you know, they're in the race for second place in the East. Kentucky versus Tennessee is going to be a good game. Yeah. So congratulations to Mark Stoops. Yeah, yeah. And, and a quick note, he passes Bad Bryant um for the most wins in UK history, Bad Bryant coach. Um, at the University of Kentucky from 1946 to 1953. Um, for those who have been living on a rock, Bear Bryant, you know, former great Alabama coach. Right. But um, he finished 60, 23, and 5 at, at uh, Kentucky during his time. Mark Stoops um, just got his 61st victory against Florida and with a 61 and 30, so sorry, excuse me, 61 and 53 career record. So, I mean, the win percentage is not as great as Bear Bryant, but I mean it's Bear Bryant considered arguably the greatest coach of all time. So, so no great milestone, bad, great accomplishment. But in 1946, I mean, what was the competition like? This is true. You know, there were probably only four teams who took football serious. Exactly. You know, you got take putting up what like 90 points against a team. <laughs> yeah. The the team has shut its football program down. Like you said, you were, so you got to honor the game. Like, you know, before 1970, some of that stuff gets a bit iffy. Yeah. No. All right. Next topic, ESPN College Game Day Division, Appalachian State, for the first time ever. Say it. After seeing who Appalachian State's playing, I mean, they're just mocking a Yeah. Appalachian State versus Troy, by the way. Versus Troy. Right. It, All right. No disrespect <laughs> to either team, but they're mocking a and yeah. All right. We actually mentioned this earlier, but um, Notre Dame QB likely out for the season. I mean, we mentioned it, so I'm gonna pass because I mean we've already discussed it. Yeah, fair enough. Mm. All right, uh, Steve Sarkeesian again, like Nick Saban, he's um he warns his team to be wary of rat rat poison from the pundits. I, I, we're gonna run. I'll run with that. I think right. I think Steve's got the right idea. You know that that team do not take the bait. Yep. Do not just get on social media and have everybody like, yeah, man, y'all almost beat Bama. Y'all should beat Bama, blah, blah. No, it's way – this team has not had enough success in the past 10, 12 years to be even looking at the media. I, I would say – I would tell you know, every player on that team, delete Twitter, stay off of Instagram, <laughs> stay away from YouTube. 
do not buy into the hype. Because yeah. you didn't actually accomplish anything. You lost. You exactly. almost won, but you, you you lost. It almost doesn't count. It does not count. So don't buy into the hype of, hey, man, we almost beat Bama. Nobody we face is going to be Bama. You're right. Yep. The other teams are going to roll over for you. So Exactly. And the quote, it, course. And the quote from, from, from Sarkeesia was basically said that, you know, we, we've got to be careful of the rap boys and the people telling us how good we are. A week ago, everyone told us how bad we were. Now this week, everyone wants to tell us how good we are. We've got to be careful to quiet the noise outside of our building and just yep. focus on us. And I think that's, you know, that, that's that's the right track. That's what we have to do because uh, especially after a loss, like oh, things, yeah. you win and you have people pumping your head up. It's bad enough, you know, you can get the big head. But after a loss and you've been told how good you are, then it's kind of you know it's kind of a dangerous ground to stand on there is you know like are we celebrating I would delete it all delete yeah. it all yeah i agree i agree and finally um for the news the sec directs georgia and tennessee to nix the ou series oklahoma by the way yeah um pass you know uh, yeah and basically with that it's just with the sec Oklahoma joining SEC is just no reason to play those games anymore. Right. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So our final topic of the day, um, we're going to talk about Nebraska football. As you may have seen, Nebraska fired their head coach, Scott Frost, after a terrible performance against <laughs> Georgia Southern, yeah. losing 45 to 42. But that's not the story. The story is they gave up 642 yards of offense 409 yards passing, 233 yards rushing to Georgia State. I'll pause and let you dissect that. Uh, any thoughts on that, uh, um, Kings? Oh, okay. First things first, I watched that game. I didn't realize they put up that many yards. I was just in amazement of Nebraska. You know, I, I have accepted a long time ago. I, I believe I accepted. Nebraska was not the Nebraska of old back when I was in high school. This is 2003, 2006 years just for the people. You know, I accepted then that Nebraska, okay, school is probably not getting Tommy Frazier back. Eric Crouch is not walking through those doors. However, I mean, Scott Frost, you went 16 and 31. Exactly, and you know he's the he you know he's the um the hometown kid. You know he's the Nebraska alum. He's the guy who, you know, um, he remembers the their, yeah yeah one of their you know um great quarterbacks that came through there at one point in time. He was supposed to be the guy to fix Nebraska. You know, if there was anybody who was going to get Nebraska on the right track, it was going to be Scott Frost. Scott Frost was that hire, um, but. I, I think I, I will say this. Congratulations. You know, once again, the Sun Belt got another win on Saturday. Um, however, <laughs> I will say this. Realistically, okay, I'm, I'm actually two questions, but answer it two ways. What do you believe the Nebraska fan base and boot? what do you believe their expected season is? On average, how many wins? Yeah, see, that's the interesting thing with Nebraska. I feel that expectation versus reality, there's a huge divide there. I honestly feel that Nebraska fans, alumni, boosters, feel that they should be 9, 10, 11. They should be competing for Big Ten championships and potential playoff spots. I feel that they believe in their heart of hearts that that's where they belong on the college football spectrum because for most of their lives, especially people older than the age of 40. For most of their lives, Nebraska football was the powerhouse. Um, the thing is, most people nowadays don't see Nebraska as a powerhouse. Most people nowadays have not seen Nebraska as a powerhouse. Their last national championship was in 1997, led by Scott Frost, actually. Yeah. Uh, but they have, you know, they and they had some good seasons since then. Uh, Frank Soders did a good job with them. But yeah, pretty much since the late 2000s, they just have not been... I want to say Bo Pelini? Yeah, Bo Pelini actually, you know, was actually decent for them. Um, 
yeah, I mean, like you said, like I think that Nebraska they have a um perception problem there. Not saying it's it's, it's that you should expect, you know, the worst. Not saying that you should you should settle, you know, for a coach going sixteen and thirty one. You should not settle for a coach going sixteen and thirty one. No. I'm a Mississippi State fan. I would not settle for a coach going sixteen and thirty one. Um, that's just not something that you do. You do not, you know, you, you can't settle for that. But at the same time, I do feel that they do feel that they should be a powerhouse. And I do think they can have a flash in the pan season. I think any school can have a flash in the pan season, but I don't think Nebraska is in a position to consistently be a top 10 team ever again, honestly. Uh, uh, unless there's some drastic changes to the sport of college football, I just don't see it happen ever. Well, because we the time has passed. We spoke when we were speaking about Texas. You know, I brought up hey, a lot of players in the state of Texas. You know, a lot of really, really good football players who weren't considering Texas. But Texas can still grab a ton of athletes. They can reach into Louisiana and grab some players. You know, Texas is a national brand. Nebraska, on the other hand, exactly. You know, you have Lincoln. And Nebraska is not the only school in this situation. You know, I think they're just in one of the worst situations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're not the only team, as you mentioned, they're not the only team in this situation. They're just the one who has the biggest hill to climb to get out of that situation. Because um, you're I in think Tennessee's in a situation, honestly. Um, but Nip- yeah, in Nebraska, Nebraska definitely has it worse than Tennessee. Because, you know, it's. It's a different ball game now. Like you said, 1997 is the last national title. Um, when's the last time Nebraska has not that takes away, but well, I was gonna say, when's the last time Nebraska has been ranked in the top ten? I don't know. You know, and that's not once again, it's not to disrespect that school, but if if you're a fan of that school, you have not been ranked in the top ten. I think it's safe to say in the last ten years. You could almost, and I actually think it's been a little bit longer than that. It's probably been closer to 15, maybe 20. Because I don't remember Nebraska being this powerhouse in, in you know, from 2005 to 2010. Yeah, I mean, they were good. They were a good team, you know. They had a Dominican Sioux that was like, you know, they're obviously yeah. the, the biggest superstar that he put into the league um, during that stretch. But they and were, then, I mean, they were good, but... They weren't a power, and that's fine. You know, I think honestly, if Nebraska was still good like that, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I was gonna say, I think that's one, of the, like you said, when we we're talking about reality. The reality is, Nebraska does not have the recruiting base, you know, to say, okay, well, you know what, if we can protect home, we can, you know, we'll go eight and four if we can reach into no. Nebraska can't just say we'll reach into Mississippi and grab some players or we'll reach into Louisiana and get a couple of guys. We'll pull. That doesn't happen. Yeah. Like they can get those guys, but they're going to be getting three star guys who are not recruited as highly from the surrounding SEC schools, you know, which can work. And let's bring me to another, another point. You know, if Nebraska was to return to prominence or at least return to that, that avenue of being able to win nine or ten games, they have to get a coach who could develop talent. Yes. There's no other way around it. You cannot hire a recruiter and expect to turn that program around. Do I think a recruiter can bring in talent there? I think so. I think a recruiter a great recruiter can, you know, with with the money that they have, I think the uh in, in NIL, I think, you know, they could maybe get back into the game a little bit, but to get to the level that they expect to be. Uh, you're gonna have to have a guy who can bring in those two, three star guys, those projects, and turn them into a four or five star plus by the time they leave campus. That's what you're gonna have to do. This is my question. Okay, so you're in Nebraska. Better yet, HM, I'm, I'm, I'll pitch it this way: You're coming out of the high school right now, hypothetically. You know, you're gonna be sitting there like, okay, you know, I'm a Three-star kid. I'm playing running back or cornerback, whatever position, skill position kid. If Nebraska offers you, you know, you can think about it, but we're not even going to give you the option to go to Mississippi State. You'll have, let's say, Kentucky offers. Which one looks more attractive? Kentucky. 
Exactly. You know, just his story, because remember, I think, you know, everyone we have to remember, right now, these kids are 16, 17, 18. Exactly. 18 years ago is 2004. Scratch that. Let's go back 10 years ago, because most, you know, six, they, they would have been you know, six, seven, eight years old. Right. That's when most people start getting these imprints in their head about what a team is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, like 10 years ago, 2012, Nebraska wasn't good. No. So, and you're not, like, I understand Nebraska does put guys in the NFL, but they're not playmakers. They're not game changers. They're not really, you know, they might have some special teams guys. You know, I remember the last running back they put out was Amir Abdullah, mm-hmm. Kenny Bell. Those guys didn't really make much of an impact. So you're not seeing them on Saturdays because they're not in big-time games because they're not winning games. College game day is not visiting Lincoln to watch them. Yeah, and joining the Big Ten did not make things easier for them. I think it made it worse. Yeah. You lost those regional rivalries. You know, they're in the Big Ten. They have yet to even come close to competing for the Big Ten. Even though they weren't really competing for the Big 12 those last few years. Um, But like you said, you know... Colorado's in a similar position. Yeah, know. Colorado's not a team. Like the, uh, the Big Twelve power. Yeah, they, they were a power. Yeah, like I remember, like early nineties when I was younger, Colorado was one of those big time programs, big yeah. time. You know, and and they're you know they're in that situation. I think Colorado has might have it worse off than Nebraska because yeah. I feel like at least Nebraska has the fan base that's that's still demanding excellence, whereas Colorado just giving up. Like yeah, whatever. This is what we are. Yeah, like. They've accepted. Yeah, they've accepted that they're reality. They, 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 they've accepted their fate. Like, Colorado's another one. And then, as you know, I mentioned earlier, there are other teams who kind of fit the bill. But... Um, I'll say one. I believe Miami's in that situation. Yeah, see, that's why I disagree with you, but I get where you're going from because they have not been... Um, they can get back. Yeah. It's been so long since Miami's been back. and I will put Miami in the Texas group. Like they they have the means, like you said. Yeah. They just need the right coach. Yeah, exactly. And that's my opinion on Miami, USC as well. Yes. Is that, you know, they need, like, they, like, all, all three of those schools, Miami, Texas, USC, they can get back with the right coach because they have the resources available. And they have the recruiting base more than anything. Southern Cal is one of the richest recruiting areas in the country. Mm-hmm. South Florida is probably the richest recruiting area in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got Texas, which is, you know, as far as pure numbers go, it's probably, you know, the, the most loaded state for high school talent. So yeah. it's... Well, you can find everything you're looking for out here. You know, yeah. you a big tackle. Off yeah. The, you'll find big kids all across the state. Yeah. So those three schools, I think, you know, they have a hill to climb, but, you know, with the right coach, they can, you know, they have the resources to realistically become a, not only good again, but a power again. And it would have surprised me to see those teams. Because but Nebraska, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. Tennessee, <laughs> to an extent, I don't really see it happening. I think Tennessee can have a flash in the pan, but Tennessee is kind of a tricky one because I like uh, because they do have talent around their state, but their state doesn't produce enough talent. No, to sustain them, no. they have. I know. To I state. know Memphis is a hotbed, but a lot of those Memphis kids don't go to. No, Tennessee. they don't. They don't. So, you know, you lose now on a big hotbed for you. You know, Tennessee doesn't actually really reach into Georgia very much. In fact, it, you know, it's kind of the opposite. You, you get kids out of Nashville wanting to go to UGA, so. I, I, the thing is, the sad part for Nebraska and Colorado, they'll find themselves going the way of other programs. You know, Syracuse used to be a really good school and have historic running backs going there. I think it's safe to say those days are long gone. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's a lot of powers, you know, that are no longer powers no more that we've, we've accepted. That's not being powers. The old bugs, uh, they change. You know, so I wonder if you're in Nebraska, like you said, you're a fan of the school. 
is it is it fair to even ask a coach to average nine wins a season? If you're in Nebraska, uh, I don't think it's fair. No, I don't. Um, I mean, well, let me dial it back. I think it's fair to ask that, but you have to have some leeway. You have to understand that um, nine wins is, is tough, but you have to understand that it's a, there's going to be some seven-win seasons. You know, there's going to be some six-win seasons, but you have, you know, yeah. You, you, so you have to give a little leeway. If you're just expecting them to just go straight nine win, you know, proceed, um nine wins, then it's just not going to happen. All right. So I did want to um, uh, bring back Tennessee one more time before we um, we close things out. So Tennessee, you know, we mentioned how they just they don't have the recruiting base. Well, I'm gonna ask you. I'll ask you a question, King. Um, so last season was one of the better high school t- uh, classes in Tennessee as far as high school football. But okay. the top 15 players, can you guess how many of those guys went to Tennessee? I want to say this is a trick question. I really do. And it's going to be like 10. But something tells me maybe two? One. Are you serious? The number 15 player. So so almost no one. You know, when you're number 15, you're arguable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had two five-star players. Walter Nolan Walter Nolan goes to Texas A&M. Ty Simpson, the quarterback, goes to Bama. Yeah. Um, you have a handful of four stars. Kentucky gets two of the four stars. Uh, you got, you know, Oregon, Stanford, Ole Miss, Ohio State, Stanford again, Michigan, Miami. Uh, so Kentucky again, but so Kentucky gets three four stars. What's that? I said you have everyone all over the country is reaching into your state pulling out exactly. your Exactly. Yes, exactly. And like I said, Kentucky gets three four stars. Um, and, the, you know, the one recruit you get in the top 15, you know, no knocks on the kid because I don't know anything about him, but number 15, um, I mean, uh, 15 players in the state, uh, composite three-star, Cameron Miller. So if you are Tennessee and if you are going to, you know, come back and become that team that you want to, same goes for Bama. I mean, sorry, same goes for Nebraska. Same goes for Miami, USC, Texas, although those schools do have more resources. Yes. You have to protect your turf. Of now, course. Nebraska doesn't have much of a turf to protect, but the little bit of talent that you have in Nebraska, you got to keep those guys home. Tennessee, you know, you've been doing some great things, and they've, they've been having good recruiting class. They've been, you know, reaching far and wide for their players, but you have to protect your turf. If you can protect your, your turf, recruiting becomes that much more easier when you go out of state to just fill those needs. But My you know. only thing I would say in regards to Nebraska, because we're talking about coaches, a guy like Gary Peters, you know, Patterson, not Peterson, Gary Patterson, you know, yeah. TC, I think he'd be the perfect type of coach. Great yeah, I strength agree. and conditioning co- program. Yeah. They're not getting the best of talent. And you're, you're looking for those project players. Okay. Well, he is 6'3", 6'4". He's not a very, you know, he, he's a tight end in high school that's not very fast, doesn't yeah. have great hands. So what if you come here and play tackle or guard? You know, do you want to play college football? Exactly. Yeah. That's one thing that Dan Mullen did very well at Mississippi State. I remember when Mississippi State got a commitment from this 6'4", 6'5", 200-pound quarterback named Bernard McKinney. And people were like, who? Yeah. But Bernard McKinney grew to be a 6'5", 250-pound linebacker who was a second-round draft pick. Probably yeah. went in the first round, you can argue. Um so or very dominated defense. Yeah, being able to one identify those diamonds in the rough, identify you know, oh man, if I can, we could just mold him, get him to a, a good strength and conditioning program. We got something, and two, to be able to develop those players, that's going to be a big key uh, for these for these teams, all these teams, and but especially Nebraska to um, have a chance. But I think Nebraska's days has been, you know, Tommy Frazier rushing four hundred yards, you know. Um, I don't. That's that's. It's not happening again. It's, yeah, just, it's, I, it's sad to say, but um, if I'm honest, the bare bad news, I think Nebraska's best days are seven and five, the you know eight and four, maybe an occasional nine win season. I don't think they're gonna get ten win seasons. No, uh, not not routinely. At least. No, I mean you know they you know I mean 
most schools will get them, you know, eventually. But um, yeah. yeah, I don't see them ever being that school. That I, I think Nebraska up. now, especially during the Big Ten, they lost all that Big Twelve hype. You, know, I think now they're just a team that's going to get lost in the Big Ten shuffle. Yeah, they're right uh, next think, to Purdue and Illinois and Indiana. I think they're already lost in the shuffle. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, it just, I think they're with those schools where, you know, when people think of the Big Ten, they'll talk about Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State, and Penn State. That's it, you know. And maybe they're not as bad as Rutgers, but are not as bad as Maryland, but. I mean, I I don't see. It. I mean, Iowa has had more successful seasons. It seems like than Michigan. I mean, yeah. no Nebraska in recent years. But no disrespect, Iowa has been a good program for a while. Which but... is and it's a tough place. Yeah, but it's also a tough place. Agreed, agreed. So I guess in that in that respect, there is hope if Iowa can do it, then Nebraska can do it. But I just still feel that it's unrealistic to yeah it's... suspect that you know you would have to basically follow the Iowa blueprint to a T. Yeah, uh, get those two stars and try to turn them into four stars. Exactly, and you got to have the right coach to do that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's gonna wrap it up this week, though. On an episode of INTs, we went a little longer than expected this week, but um, but I think we had a a great conversation. You know, talking about Nebraska, um, and you know all the games. Um, but next week, well, not next week. Um, later this week, you know, we're gonna try to uh bring back another show we're going to discuss some of the big games heading um into week three they're not very many big games but there are a few uh miami's technicians intriguing and one game i want to talk about mississippi state lsu um that's going to be an intriguing game for me personally but also both teams yeah also an intriguing game in general that i would like to get into but yeah but that's going to do it um so for your i mean for your co-host king i'm a train signing off we are.